let's face it, I'm not going to stop treating myself anytime soon, and neither should you. But what I should stop doing is paying for me time with whatever random credit card is in my wallet. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times the points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? Honey, is it like a gorgeous free flight that you would have had to have paid for, but honey, you're saving that flight money? Is it a gorgeous room upgrade? Is it like a gorgeous like two-bedroom suite instead of a one-bedroom suite so your like in-laws or like your friend could stay over there in that room so you don't have to like hear them doing whatever with what they're doing in your your guys' room? Is it like really adulting? Oh, I love adulting. And you know what else I love? is not waiting to make smart financial decisions. I also love paying my credit cards off in full every month because like, yes, good credit. So let's like do try to do that and like making responsible decisions, which we love. Um, But anyway, don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerdwallet, finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You ever own something that inspired you to up your game? We spend so much time in our cars. It's nice to have a car that makes you feel good. It's giving me like, you deserve to take care of yourself, girl. Honey, I just love Alexis because it's giving luxury. It just gives like, nice. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. And the features on this GX, honey? Available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Available front row massaging seats. Ooh! Available 33-inch all-terrain tires. That's wide! Available multi-terrain select. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. They always say trust your gut, but one time my gut told me to bleach my eyebrows, and that was fashionable, but not widely well-received. While probiotics can't help you with most of your gut decisions, it can give your gut a little bit of support. And Ritual has your back. They made a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Did you know daily disturbances like poor diets, stress, travel, the use of certain medications, and plenty of other factors can throw off your gut microbiome? Oh, no! Enter Ritual. Their Symbiotic Plus has been a gorgeous tool. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide, your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash curious. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash curious for 25% off. Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a 40-minute conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. This week, we're re-airing an episode from June 2019 with the incredible writer and performance artist and someone who I'm honored to call a friend, Alok, where I ask them, how grateful are we to live beyond the gender binary? Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm so excited to introduce our beautiful guest, Alok, who is a writer, performance artist, fashionista extraordinaire. 
So nice to have you here. Welcome. So happy to be here. Thank you. Well, um, so it's, I don't know if you heard this. Did you know it's Pride Month? I had no idea. <laughs> I don't know if you heard anything about it this or saw awesome anything. Is. <laughs> it's um, you know, we're already like almost halfway through, unfortunately. But uh, I just found out. I'm just kidding. We love Pride Month. I this... thought it was Straight Pride Month. No, <laughs> what is that? With we're gonna have to hit that point later. That, yeah. We'll get there. But you are a very um, you are having. I mean, you've been working towards creating your moment for a second, but I've I feel like you've been on my radar for a second. But you're really coming into your own in public in a visible way that has just been so beautiful and exciting to watch. I'm curious about you. I want to know everything. I'm so inspired by you, and um, I look up to you. And yeah, so yeah. Yeah. Tell me about everything. Okay, sure. Like, welcome to Morning Therapy. Um, my name's Alok, like you said, as in tell me a joke, Alok. I'm a gender nonconforming writer and performance artist, and basically what that means is I'm a Cancer Leo rising with a lot of feelings, and the stage is really the only place where this culture allows us to like cry and laugh, so that's where I am most of the time. I've been performing now for about seven years, touring the world, so I've performed in over 43 countries at over 500 venues, and a lot of my work is about challenging the gender binary. Um, so I guess like my sort of soapbox is, I think it's so wrong that we tell people that there's man or woman men, male or female. And I think there are as many genders as there are people in the world. So I'm trying to fight for a world where we celebrate creativity and not require people to conform. Wow. (laughs) I love that. And I love that you've been able to articulate the name of your soapbox and like how you want to approach that. Yeah. It is, I was just, I've been writing a book lately and I've been thinking so much about how like all my experiences with gender were so much formed when I was a little kid and how um, really like our ability to express ourselves is so linked to how we like perceive our ability to like make it in the world. I feel like, and as a child, it was like really bore into me that if I like being a gay man was something that was like, terrifying for my family but it was something that was like somehow more um okay than like finding me at home and like a big puffy golden um you know shoulder dynasty evening (laughs) gown and my beautiful like clip-on earrings and my beautiful scarves and and heels like when my dad found that it was like that's the problem yeah and it really scared me yeah same i mean i'm actually flying out right after this back to my hometown in texas so i like to say i grew up in a small town in texas it was very much homo on the range okay (laughs) so as you can imagine extremely white evangelical christian straight and there i was like a brown gender non-conforming non-christian kid and for me it was always about gender not about sexuality i used to wear my sister's clothes i used to dance to all the bollywood songs at our local indian dinner parties i didn't call it drag it was just me you know i'd wear my mom's clothes i would make gowns out of all the towels and it was totally okay until i hit puberty and then when you hit puberty it's like time to be a boy and i was like wait what like why are you okay and then Everyone in my family, everyone in my community started to shame me for being feminine. And I didn't even understand what I was as feminine or masculine. It was about freedom. And I'm coming back up for my 10-year high school reunion, actually. And it's like a big fuck you to my school and to my classmates because I never felt safe there to express myself. But now she's she's curated all of her outfits. Don't worry, there's multiple outfit changes. Uh She's a nice, practical six-inch denim wedge heel that she's going to wear homage to Texas. Uh And I'm, I'm really just trying to teach people, like, 
When it comes to young, trans and gender nonconforming kids, oftentimes they will try their best to destroy us and call it love. That it was the people in my life who said they loved me who also told me to be quiet. So they loved the masculine form of me and not me. And I think a lot of my poetry over the past decade has been about healing from that. And I, I think I have. I mean, healing is like a lifelong journey. But now I think I'm ready to be more of an advocate for the community because I think so many of us have to destroy. The first line in my book of poetry is, what feminine part of yourself did you have to destroy in order to survive in this world? And I think so many people across genders have to police our femininity in order to be real, in order to be safe, in order to be desirable. And I want to challenge that. Wow, that's <laughs> so beautiful. Thanks. I mean, it is, I feel especially in like gay male culture, yeah. it's crazy. Oh my God, it's so traumatic. It's literally so traumatic. But yeah. I do think that there are um, fringes where it's starting to open and become like more supple and gorgeous right. and feminine. Like, and like, and even just in our ability to be like, to voice your attraction to like non-binary <laughs> right. people and to right. see, um, like just to see like the lack of fun that's right. in that's like in like <laughs> that's what it's about. It's about fun, actually. It is. Yeah. Well, it's just like the lack. It's like such a rigid. Um, I don't know. I just think that like the way that we celebrate masculinity and femininity is so rigid. So rigid. You know, it's ridiculous because they say that we have a disorder for being gender nonconforming, but I think the real problem is society's understandings of man and woman. Like cis people are having to live up to a completely unrealistic standard where you're not allowed to have emotions if you're a man and you're not allowed to be competent if you're a woman and that needs to be challenged. And I think what I'm really trying to do in my work is to get feminism to catch up to the reality of gender, which is the problem is not just man supremacy over women. The problem is that we divide people into man and woman to begin with. And for me, what feminism is actually about is people should have the autonomy to determine their own gender expression, what to call their body and who they are. And I think that that scares people because, I mean, you, I'm sure you get this. When we're growing up as kids, we're taught if you at all express yourself a little bit past a point, then you are just disposed of. You're too much. And I think to be a gender nonconforming person is to always be never enough and to be too much at the same time. Oh, they're always policing us and they're always saying, this is where you belong, this is where you don't belong. And I'm saying, done with those binaries, done with those boxes, just allow me to live my life. My name is Alok. Uh, which I love. Okay, so let's go back to BB Alok. Yeah. Because, like, Texas is... In the so, okay, so if you're coming up on your ten year reunion, that means that you're like, okay, I'm just doing my math. Which if it's <laughs> I'm not about hair, to turn twenty eight, yeah. So like, I'm yeah. not great at hair color. So okay. all right, ew, whoever says that, I'm great at hair color, but I'm only good at adding and subtracting <laughs> hair it, color, it, not like years, right? But okay, so I'm, so but you're like coming up in the mid nineties, yeah, in in Texas, yeah, as a gender non and because I think by the time I was like. With my voice and how I carry my body yeah. and how I, like, move and talk, I think I was very gender nonconforming. Right. But with my clothes, like, I feel like I was not allowed right. to, like, I mean, it was, like, literally not allowed. Right, right, like, right. I could play as much as I could with, like, tights because I had, like, an extreme aver aversion to, like, buttons, snaps, or zippers right. until, like, my dad was, like, you have to fucking wear umbro <laughs> shorts and jeans to school. Like right. you and and also I just think I was like scared. Like I was right. scared to like dress how I really would yeah. have naturally. I mean, I already realized by the time I was in kindergarten and first grade that like wearing like scarves to make yourself look like Christy Yamaguchi from your mom's <laughs> scarf collection was like frowned upon. Right. Um 
But so you were rocking that at school. I was rocking that until maybe like eight or nine. Which is so strong and brave. Like I would not, like I, like I did at home. I definitely, was I choreographing to like Vanessa Williams, like her entire album? Like, (laughs) yes. Like I have beautiful, like lyrical dances to all that. For me, it was Dream, the girl group. Remember that? He loves me. He loves me not. Oh, he loves me. He loves me not. I love it. I I love that album so much. I still listen to it. Wait, do you remember that? Not to get off track, and then we'll go back to Gen X session when we were young. So it was really when you were young, which is really important. But do you remember that one song that was like "Say La Vie, Say You Will, Say You Will"? Yes, I loved that. It was so good. I mean, honestly, music has just taken a downturn from there. Like that was the highlight. Uh, Well, I mean, I feel like Danny Kane was still bringing in pretty hard. Okay, yeah, you know. Um, yeah, so the thing is, like, I grew up in an Indian family, and I think that's important because we have always had gender expression outside of the Western binary for, like, thousands of years. Which is gorgeous. Hello. Can you give people a, a detour into that? Totally, 100%. So a lot of people think that this whole non-binary thing is a new fad, and that irritates me so much because actually the new fad is man and woman. <laughs> that actually there have been people outside of the Western gender binary for literally thousands of years, and there still are. So where I'm from in India, actually, we have a long documented history of hijras, of arvanis, of kotis, of all these words to describe people outside of male and female. Is the first, the first one you said, is that H-I-J-J? H-I-J-R-A. H-I-J-R-A. And yeah. weren't those baby gorginas minding their own business and when Britain came in and isn't that the first because I think yes. I just read about this in BBC yes yes BBC just did a great a great story on this so a lot of people don't know this history so I'll break it down for people who Will don't you? so when the British aka the origin of all my issues my life came into my country and it wasn't even a country at the point because the nation state came with them too the first one of the first things they did is they criminalized queer people so they did two acts one was the sodomy law which was recently repealed section 377 and the second actually was a eunuch ordinances law, which single-handedly criminalized gender nonconforming people. So what they would do is they would forcibly strip trans feminine gender nonconforming people, sell their clothes, and make them wear men's clothes. And this is a tactic of colonization we've seemed to have forgotten. It happened here in the United States as well, where indigenous people were forcibly assimilated into man and woman. So indigenous men had to cut their braids, indigenous women had to wear dresses, that we took a very European white gender binary and we imposed that on to people of color, indigenous people. And so for me, when we say that non-binary is a new fad, I'm like, actually, that's racism. Because this has been around for a very, very long time. It might be new to white or European consciousness, but black and brown people have had this for a very long time. We're going to do a two-second break. We'll be right back with more <laughs> look after this teeny little break. If you're like me, the threat of fascism is weighing on you this year. But even when the F word is uttered, way too few of us are considering the full scope of the danger, let alone how to really stop it. The Refuse Fascism podcast hosted by Sam Goldman names it, dissects it, and connects in-depth analysis of what fascism is with the understanding and urgency we need to defeat it. And she is joined by great guests to discuss the threat of civil war, attacks on abortion rights and trans rights, Trump and the theocrats, Project 2025, efforts to erase history and critical thinking, and much more. Check out recent episodes featuring Kathleen Ballou, Jeff Charlotte, Sarah Posner, Wujahat Ali, Dahlia Lithwick, and many more. Subscribe to the Refuse Fascism podcast on your listening platform of choice or go to refusefascism.org slash podcast. Hey, it's Jonathan Van Ness. 
Americans United for Separation of Church and State defends your freedom to live as yourself and believe as you choose, so long as you don't harm others. Core freedoms like abortion rights, marriage equality, public education, and even American democracy itself rest upon the wall of separation between church and state. Christian nationalists are attacking these freedoms, seeking to force us all to live by their narrow beliefs. Americans United is fighting back. Freedom without favor and equality without exception. Learn more about AU at au.org slash curious. Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. We are here with Alok. Um, okay, so that's really important. And there was a couple things that you say that really blow my mind. One is that, I wonder, did Britain come into India? Like, it was in the 1800s, right? right. I think it was 1857. But it actually really doesn't even matter because when you think, well, it does, but not for the purposes of what I was saying. 2019, that law got repealed, or 18? 18, yeah. 18. That took, even if it was 1899, that was 120 years. Right. It's just really, Almost. It's, it's sad because you see all these maps of like the safest places in the world to be gay. And it's always concentrated in the U.S. and Europe. But I'm like, you need to understand that actually these sodomy laws were put into place through By those places. Hello. So why are you patting yourself on the back about how progressive you were whenever you brought that conservatism and that homophobia across the world? So it's 1860. Four. 1864, India, Britain came in, we just did our little uh, beep boop, we edited that out, we make that part cute, but then basically we just did a little quick Googling and we realized that Britain came into India in 1754, then, or 1750-ish, then in 1864 they enacted these two laws that criminalized... Uh, Gender nonconformity and queerness, yeah. Yeah, and so really... You were saying that this is racism when we... Wait, say everything that you just said again. Because <laughs> now so, that we're back for the You know, break. like, media right now is saying, like, we're in a non-binary fad or, like, we're in a gender-neutral fad. And I'm just, like, rolling my eyes because I'm like, this is not a fad. This has, like, thousands of years of history. And also, we've been around for a very long time. I think that part of the ways that we're getting dismissed, especially in state legislation right now, because it's important to name that there's literally dozens of pieces of anti-trans legislation that are being debated right now, is they're saying this is a millennial fad where we're just coming up and making up with genders. And I'm like, okay, first of all, all language is made up. Newsflash. Yeah. They only get mad when we make up new language around gender and sexuality, but they're not like protesting the word tweet and being in the dictionary. You know, right. language evolves and changes over time. But what they're saying essentially is that this is just a conspiracy of millennial internet kids who are making up genders. And I want to say, actually, that's not true. We've been around for a very long time. We've had different words to describe ourselves, but this is a tactic of transphobia. It's not about real history. And also, it's not even limited. Well, I mean, it's not limited only to India right? and to Indian culture. I know. Oh, that there's like Central American cultures yeah. where there is like also in Native American yes. there is like definitely even in pre-colonial Europe that's what I always tell white people too I'm like if you actually learn about your cultures before the formation of Europe y'all were literally doing such amazing stuff too really like yeah. what <laughs> what were we doing like uh, amazing relationships with the environment and nature like ritual and ceremony multiple genders like sex positivity you know we were yeah <laughs> like kind of like do you watch Outlander no, should I? Well, yes, it's kind of fierce. It's like time traveling. It's hot. Sam Huygen, I think is how I say his last name. Mm -hmm. Super cute. And then Carolina b starts with a B, fierce. But it's a story of this like 1945, like Ameri or British 
um, couple, and then they accidentally, like, touch this, like, wooden Stonehenge and transport back to 1750-something. But there's, like, baby witches, and, like, they're doing, like, chic, like, nature witchy stuff, and I could tell, and there was definitely, like, some slightly LGBT stuff. I feel like I remember there in, like, the second or third season, just, like, interesting. I love that. I love it when, like, um, white people did something good once upon a time. <laughs> once it's like, upon a well, time. yeah, like wow, yeah. like deep down, like there's, you know, everyone has good things <laughs> right. in them. But that is, but the binary, so gross. So we come back from our detour of yeah. the history of Indian gender stuff, right. which oh, and also Filipino culture. There's right. also a lot totally. of gorgeous third genders. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh my god, I'm about to sneeze. Uh. Uh. Hmm. It was. It's the ancestor uh. speaking through you right now. Hmm. Okay. It now <laughs> just diverged. Um. But so. But back to you, yeah. and it's like the '90s, and we're in. Yeah. We are in Texas, yeah. and your family is Indian. Yeah. And can, like, can I ask you, like, like you were born here, but yeah. like, was it your parents that came or your grandparents? Yeah. So my dad was born in Malaysia, where he was born and raised, and then went to India for school, then went to Canada, then went to the U.S. What a cool, yeah. so gorgeous, multicultural <laughs> totally. person! And my mom was born in India and then moved to the U.S. Um, so we grew up like kind of with extremities of like a very white Christian town and then a very tight-knit Indian Hindu community. But the reason I was bringing that up is because among other Indian people, when I was a kid, my gender nonconformity was not a problem. And I say that because I think that there's this revisionist history happening right now where we pretend that immigrants are more conservative or more homophobic or transphobic. Or literally just the other day, I was like at the P- at my P.O. box and this white woman came out to me and she's like, it's a good thing that you live in the U.S. because they would kill you where you're from. I was like, excuse me? Like, first of all, the audacity to come up and say that to me in the middle of the day. And I tried to get her together and I was like, actually, like, you need to understand that this country is one of the most dangerous in the world right now for me. That actually that I have more legal protections in other places. In places like India, they actually acknowledge their gender on all identity documents. Whereas here, I still have to be called a man everywhere I go. I can't even walk down the street in New York City without being afraid for my safety. But it's just so ingrained in people that when you see immigrants, when you see brown people, they're somehow more homophobic or transphobic. But that was not my case, not my case at all. I started to experience gender policing when I would go to school and then other white kids would be like, what are you doing? And so for me, like becoming a man was always about becoming a white man. This kind of very masculine, like don't care about fashion. Like Indian men are literally some of those fashionable people in the world. Like we're literally wearing like mirrors, like glammed, like drag queens every day. But then in white male culture, it's like never care about your hair, never care about your nails, never care about your, that was never my experience. And so I think a lot of what I'm really trying to do and bring to the movement around LGBT issues is to say like this is a racial justice issue that it's not just like you have LGBT rights over here and racial justice over there and they only come together when there's queer people of color LGBT rights are already always about racial justice just yeah for sure and well I got to interview the director of the um, National Center for Transgender Equality yeah Yeah. Mara Mm -hmm. and Mara was saying like you know you will see people from the National Center for Transgender Equality at every protest for whether it's you know, Muslim equality, if right. it's whatever the marginalized community is, whoever it is, you are going to see someone from National totally. Center for Transgender Equality because we are not free until we are all free. Hello. But I do think that it's like, it is, and I think another thing that I realize now that continues to be an issue is like the marginalization of um, classes, like people that don't right. have money, like totally. that creates this whole other level 100%. of like, inability to access safety information like literal safety because even how you present how you look like Mm -hmm. the more 
the chicer you look or like the more like polished you look, I feel like that can make you more safe from like harassment. Yes, totally. Which is like a thing. So, but for, for you growing up, you had the courage and the wherewithal and the strength to like present how you wanted to present and in, up into school. Then yeah. you started experiencing like gender policing. Were yeah. you very much bullied? Oh my God, bullied so much. And I, I think that's why I'm a little scared about going back for this 10 year reunion because I have so much trauma from this town. Like, we call my town colloquially Closet Station. It's called College Station. It was just like there was no queer visibility at all. We had one gay bar on the periphery of town next to the strip club. So it's like that was where all the quote unquote sinners went, right? So I just did not know it was even possible to be LGBTQ. And then when there was media representation, there was never any Indian people who were LGBTQ. So I was like, that's just a white people thing. And so I was bullied by the Indians for being too gender nonconforming and by the white people for being gender nonconforming and for being brown. And especially growing up in a post 9-11 moment, I was made into this scary figure kind of overnight. And so I have so much trauma from that period where I attempted suicide when I was 13. And I speak about that publicly because actually trans Asian Americans have some of the highest suicide rates in the country. And I always say that when you tell us that we're not real, at some level we begin to believe you, you know? And that's why I have difficulty even saying I attempted suicide and rather saying, you know, I almost died by suicide because was it my agency or was it just me reflecting everyone telling me to disappear? Wow, that is fucking heartbreaking. So you, I, that is one thing that has really blown my mind as a white person. The, and just like, I came from like a rural cornfield in the middle of America during Mm 9-11. I was very out living as a gay, like little, like ninth grader then. I mean, I was very out, very queer. I mean, Mm -hmm. like just because I went by Jack then's like just Jack, like from Will and Grace was like, Mm -hmm. it was either that or faggot. Like it was one of those, like one of those (laughs) two things. They used to call me faggotron, which I've since reclaimed. I'm like, that's kind of a cute look, right? It's like, you know, just, (laughs) but do you notice how like if I recount my experience of like being called faggot to people, like people like cringe. They do. Like they get so like, and whereas like for me, it's like if I hear someone (laughs) say faggot to me to this day, like I turn my head assuming that someone is like coming from me. Like that was just the the name that I was called all the time. Yeah, like I, it's not, it, it literally doesn't even like move a hair on right. my head. Right. So, how did you get through high school? Like, how did you do that? I mean, you are you did not. Ha- oh, but that I was going to say back to the whiteness and of yeah. like I didn't realize like how deeply nine eleven affected the rights and the perceived right or no not perceived right the rights of right. Muslim American people right. and like and Asian, anyone perceived as Muslim. Yeah. Too. Anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Because like because like were you like a BB you were like a BB Hindu. Yeah. My family was Hindu, but I think that what a lot of people don't understand is like Islamophobia was part of a racist project where anyone who was ethnically ambiguous or brown was just already racialized as Muslim. Right? So many Sikh people right. were also so like, many, and still to this day, Sikh people are being targeted for hate crimes all the time. It doesn't make the news, you know. Um, how I got through high school, uh, two things. One, my art practice. So because I couldn't speak about the bullying I was going through, and I'm sure you can identify with this, when you're a young queer person, if you speak about the violence you're experiencing, it brings more violence to you because then you're showing people that it has an impact on you. You have to constantly pretend, no, I'm, I'm fabulous, I'm strong, I'm funny, I'm charming. I, you can't actually show I'm hurting, I'm sad because then you become more vulnerable and they target you. And then also I wasn't disclosing to people that I was gender conforming. I didn't have that language. All I knew was gay. So I was like, okay, I'm gay. I didn't want to tell people that I was gay because then I would get more harassment, right? So I was just being very strategic. And that's why I don't like the word closeted. I was being strategic. I was like, okay, girl, I need to get out of Texas so I can live my truth because right now my physical safety is in jeopardy. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to do this. 
So I started to write because I had nowhere else to put the pain. So I just, I was a big MySpace kid. I don't know if you're on MySpace. I've always been an internet kind of girl boy. So I was really big on MySpace, really big on Zanga, had my digital communities because they were taking care of me when I didn't have a physical community. You know, I met LGBT people online and they were like, this is what it means to be gay. I was like, oh my God. Because in Texas, we had a zero tolerance sexual uh, sexual um, education policy. So we were literally taught like 101 ways to say no to sex. There was a poster in my room that'd be like, what would my dad think? Or I have to sneeze. <laughs> Just things we could say. So I never learned about sexual sexuality at all. So the internet was where I went. So I started to post like my journal entries, which I didn't call poems. They were just like my diary online under a pseudonym called Larry. There's a lot going on at the time. I started an inner name society to put her a trans moment when I was in sixth grade. Like, what name do you want to be called? And I chose Larry, kind of anticlimactic, but... That's my cat's <laughs> middle name. Oh my God. Well, maybe we're connected. I, you know? I bet we are. <laughs> Wait, we're going to take a two second break. We're just, but there's like just two seconds break. It'll be painless, I swear. Darling, I was on a vacation recently and stayed at an Airbnb, and then I realized that while I was away, my empty house could be making money, honey. If you're someone like me that is busy and not home all the time, your home could be an Airbnb. And it's actually pretty simple to get started. Even if you don't have a whole house, you could start with just a spare room. Personally, I really enjoy staying at Airbnbs. I really do. I love a good Airbnb. Who is that? Come back, British you. And it really is a great way to like support local economy and support local people. So Airbnb is fabulous. And I know I was doing my British voice earlier, but we love Airbnb. So think about what you could do with some extra cash. Whether you're looking to treat yourself to something nice, like a shopping spree or a spa day, or start a whole side hustle, Airbnb can help you be that person. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. In the brand new book, Dear By Men, author, peer counselor, and creator of the hashtag Bisexual Men Speak, J.R. Youssef offers an unapologetic guide for readers who are black, mask, and bi. The book features cutting social analysis, personal stories, and reclaims bi-plus visibility in a culture of erasure. It also offers practical feedback on how to unlearn internalized biphobia and homophobia, fight back against erasure and stigma, navigate sex, dating, partnerships, marriage, friendship, and much more. It's available now wherever books are sold. North Atlantic Books is offering listeners 25% off plus free shipping. Purchase Dear Buy Men at www.northatlanticbooks.com and use code CURIOUS25 at checkout for 25% off and free shipping. U.S. mailing address required. I'm not going to stop treating myself anytime soon. But I should stop paying for me time with whatever credit card is in my wallet. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offer 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Sign me up. Room upgrades? Yes, please. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Hey. 
welcome back to Getting Curious with Alok. And so basically, sixth grade, yes. you started like a literal yes. n- like pronoun slash name preferential yes, thing totally. before it was even fucking People chic. call me like, Larry for years. Some some of my friends from high school still like will call me Larry. I'm like, what? But anyway, so I started to post my poems online. I didn't call them poems, they're just my diary entries. And people were like, oh my God, you're better than Shakespeare. I was like, what? And they're like, you're an artist. I was like, what? And they're like, can I read your poem in my high school English class? I was like, oh my God. And so those people gave me the validation to keep on writing. And I just wrote and wrote and wrote. And that's how I processed a lot of the pain. I call it emotional alchemy. When you take harassment and violence and you turn it into something else and turn it into something beautiful. And I think that's what I love about being queer is that we've always been able to do that. That's our history historic tradition. In New York City, it used to be illegal to wear more than two articles of clothing different than your assigned sex, right? They would throw the girls in prison. And those girls when? would- Honey, during the Stonewall riots. Like what? all before that. Yes. Cross-testing laws in New York City. Sylvia Rivera has some amazing interviews on this about being arrested for, quote, female impersonation, right? And, and she said for her, even if she was wearing makeup just on her face, walking down the street, they would arrest her on charges of female impersonation from the shoulders up. <laughs> it was literally a criminal offense to be gender nonconforming in public in New York City. And what I take solace in is that those girls, those drag queens, would be incarcerated, would dust off their heels and go right back out onto the street living their truth. And that sense of being able to bounce back and to actually amplify your fabulosity based off of the terror you're experiencing. So for me, when I'm getting harassed, I receive so much harassment, but that's how I'm so free because I recognize my power. And I think as a young kid, I didn't understand, like, you have so much power that you can make your entire high school sweat. Like, you have so much power that when you walk down the hallway, everyone is staring at you. Now I understand that's my queer power. Like, people are envious and jealous because we are the free people. And we've been taught to destroy our own freedom. So when we see other people being free, we're jealous. So I made art and that's where I started to put it out. And then I also studied really hard. Um, and I think this is, I'm, I'm hearing this from a lot of queer kids. I, I do a lot of college gigs and a lot of them tell me like, yeah, I really just wanted a scholarship so I could get out of my, my out of my place. So I was thinking to myself, if I'm really smart, then there'll be something redeemable about me. A local will be the faggot who's smart. <laughs> a local will be the faggot who's really good at English or really good at writing. And so I just studied, 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 studied. And I think that now I understand what I was trying to do, or at least I'm working through it in therapy, is that I wanted to be able to defy everyone's stereotypes to actually, because I'm sure you get this too. When people see people who they perceive to be men who are feminine, they think that we're stupid, that we're incompetent, that all we can do is like talk about like our hair and our nails. And I'm like, I can talk about those things, but I can also talk about so many other more enormous things. And I'm actually really intelligent and smart. And so I thought like if I studied really hard, I could defy people's stereotypes and I could get access to safety, worth, beauty and recognition. Wow, babe, you are amazed. Thanks. But have you ever heard of that book, The Velvet Rage? No. Okay, so there's this book called The Velvet Rage by, um, yeah, Alan Downs. So he basically says that the reason that, he says that there's like three phases of like gay men. Hmm. And the reason that so many of us become like experts, you know, the best English or the best Mm -hmm. athletes or the best hairdressers or the best, you know, translators, whatever. Like oftentimes, like we become like the best at our things. It's because we have to work so hard for the love and the acceptance of the people that we have to do that. And um, and then he goes on to say like a bunch of other stuff. It's a very interesting read. I'll check it out. Um, uh, But it's, it is like a very good read. Um, Very interesting. Um, uh, 
also has like some Louise Hay vibes, final say it, like okay. in the sense that I'm like a little bit like I'm like, I'm like, you're kind of Trey on a soapbox because I okay. feel like there's like a he lacks a certain intersectionality right. about gender. Mm, a lot of them do. That bothers me. Right. Um, that didn't feel like totally like organic to like my particular experience. Right. right. Um, but also, you know, I think that's one other thing that makes me feel really seen and good, but we need so much more of this. And he talks about this sometimes, but it's like the knowledge that like I'm not terminally like unique and right. that like I wasn't the only one when I was 15 trying to figure out how I could like I was like I once drove to this town in Missouri like across the river from where mm-hmm. I'm from because I was like maybe I could go down their front street in like a cute girl outfit right. and like it would be like okay I literally got out of the car and got back in it like 10 <laughs> steps later because like it was very immediate right, that it was like right. not going to be okay right, right. but it was really cute I had this like little like maroon mini right. jumper dress you and need this- to recreate this look it was like, and then like I had like a little scarf because my hair wasn't long yet. Right. It was, and also for like, and also like any Halloween, I was always like, dress, right. skirt, like let me just like get my life in this particular. Like I love that. I love that Halloween was my favorite. Oh. To this day in New York City, on Halloween and New York Fashion Week is when I'm the safest because people can be like, oh, you're just dressed up for something. I have people come up to me in restaurants and just be like, what are you dressed up for? What are you in a costume for? I'm like, honey, this is not a costume. It's my daily look. This is just what I'm wearing right now. Yeah. So high school, I'm obsessed with, what did you call it again when we take like violence? Emotional alchemy. Emotional alchemy. Mm-hmm. I love that. So basically you're in high school, you've like developed this emotional alchemy digitally, yeah. which I love like using your resources, yes. like not your fault, you're smart. Yes. Then you're like, when did you like bust out? Okay, so I, I'm in Cancer Leo Rising, like I said, which means I'm deep emotions and I'm able to express them. So everything for me is, is heightened. So I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this coming out thing, it's going to be epic. So I literally planned it. I had like 15 people. Each person I had to have like a one-on-one kind of declarative conversation with. And then after I told those 15 people, I got a Facebook account and I put like interested in men on Facebook because I knew at that moment in the MySpace, sorry, was that? Yeah, Facebook. I think at that moment, everyone would always go check like what you put interested in. I was like, I'm going to be honest, right? And so my senior year in high school, I chose those 15 people. I was dating a woman throughout high school, which I think is important because a lot of times people think that being gay is synonymous with being trans or gender nonconforming, but actually they're separate. Like I've always been attracted to people of all genders. And And I was dating a cis woman throughout high school. And for a long time, I didn't think that you could be bisexual or pan. So I was like, oh, like I must be gay. I can't be into her. But now I'm like, oh my God, no, we were just in a lesbian relationship and we didn't understand. Oh my God. Every once in a while, like once a year, I'll think like, oh my God. I think I want to watch like a like late like a porn with like a lady in it. Mm-hmm. Every year after about 20 seconds I'm like I am complete. I feel good. I actually was not cure, mm-hmm. but I think you're gorgeous. Like right. I'm, you know, like you're gorgeous. But it's good I, to check in. Things change. You I know? have to check. Yeah, yeah, I realize it's always like this little whisper, right. like like annually, and then I'm always like, nope, I'm okay. Right. But before I used to think that I had to be vagina phobic right. because I thought that that was something that I had to prove right. to like own my gayness. Right. Like, so I was definitely that gay, like, in my teenage years where I'd be like, ew, like, ugh. Like, if someone right. was, like, vagina, I'd be like, ugh. And I'd be like, ugh. Like, but then I, but then Margaret Cho was like, have you ever even eaten pussy when I was doing her hair this one day? And I was like, no. Although I did one time. I, I did have one sexual experience <laughs> with a woman. Oh, this a uh, one time when yeah. I was in high school. And I was like, I said that. And she was like, well, then you really can't knock it until you try it. And then I was like, 
ladies are fierce and so are vaginas totally I was only saying that as a reaction to like it was like a protectionist thing and ever since then I've been like very pro-vagina right I'm really glad that you bring that up because I feel like what ends up happening in gay male culture is that there's so much of a pressure to be a particular kind of gay man like that is like vagina hating and that's also transphobic right because there are trans men that have vaginas and non-binary people that have vaginas right so there are gay cis men who are dating trans men and are in gay relationships and their vaginas there so that language is even coded transphobia but there's this kind of pressure to be this really like misogynistic person and I think that was my experiences after high school is like I could finally join a gay community when I was in college and I was meeting gay people for the first time and I was like is this what I spent my entire life trying to do it was so traumatic because I felt like no one had actually processed their childhood trauma and was just taking it out on each other the amount of bullying the amount of pettiness the amount of that you went through in college yeah and where did you go to college I went to Stanford in California so you went from Texas to California and then once you got there you were like like the like the bullying that you receive like from within the LGBT community. Yeah, because there would just be this pressure and we were speaking to it a little bit before about like a kind of masculinity in the gay male culture. Like, okay, I've lost male privilege from being gay, so I'm going to overcompensate for that for being as masculine as possible. And if you were at all feminine or gender nonconforming, you were just seen as like the leader of the club or like you were always just made into a caricature and never a real person. And I think that trauma is what I'm still working through because I'm like, when it's other people outside of your community who are oppressing you, you're kind of used to that, you know? So it's like when I'm experiencing racism from white people, I'm like, okay, I've had that my entire life. When I'm experiencing homophobia and transphobia from straight people, I'm like, okay. But when it's within the community, you're like, really? You should know what it's like. But this is what I've learned being a gender nonconforming person. From all fronts, people are projecting on us and they discriminate against us. And the trans movement, they'll say, you're not really trans enough. If you are really trans, you should be taking hormones. You're making us look bad. You're too visible. And the gay movement, they'll be like, you're you're just a gay man that's confused. You should be more masculine. I'm like, what? But then I, I've started to really learn, and I think college was an exercise in this, of like, I'm not responsible for other people's projections. I'm really not. And that's a really hard thing when you're a queer person because you you learn how to be a, a people pleaser for your safety. Like when I was younger, I learned how to crack the best jokes, how to compliment everyone, how to make other people feel comfortable so they wouldn't attack me. And I still see that coming into my life now where I can disarm and charm people. But I'm like, actually, no, I'm going to take up space and you're going to call me a bitch. I'm going to take up space and you're going to say that I'm um, stupid or irrational, but that's just your misogyny, not not anything to do with me. Yes. I have really dealt with that so much too. Right. Like, it, but you're so, um, yeah, your way of words, like being able to like speak words that, so you go to Stanford. Yeah. And so basically your whole 20s, once you come out, you're living your same gender nonconforming but like not you're like you're just like a pan gender yeah. like a pansexual like gender nonconforming queen yeah. so it took a while to come into those terms I still like I only really started presenting in the ways that I do now after I left school and that's honestly the case I think for a lot of us because at school there was still that kind of masculinity where I felt like I would be targeted I would experience sexual violence I didn't feel safe I felt safe like at like a queer party but not on like a day to day kind of thing And this is, I think, something that I'm really thinking about these days with this kind of gender fluid moment. 
People are comfortable with gender fluidity when it's on a billboard, when it's on a runway, when it's on a photo shoot. But when it's sitting next to you on the train, then it's threatening, right? So it's like they'll be okay with us as a spectacle, like, oh, you're just dressing up for something. But if you're just living your life, then it's a problem. So after I graduated from school, I moved to New York because I needed to be around other trans people. Like I really was seeking like people in my life who would understand what I was going through. And for the first time, I met other trans and gender nonconforming people of color, and I gained the courage through them seeing me and being like, we see you for who you are, to start wearing dresses and makeup and growing out my hair. And that was, I think, the chapter of my life that has been the most traumatic, because that's when the physical violence started. Mm. So you come to New York, and that was when you experienced like your like physical violence for the first time. Yeah. Um, and, and I still do. And I think people get so shocked by this, but I'm like, this is the reality for us as gender nonconforming people, especially gender nonconforming people of color. Every single day in New York City, people spit at me, they laugh at me, they take photos of me that, without my consent, they yell things at me, they film me, sometimes they push me, they shove me. I've been physically attacked, I've been sexually harassed. And the thing is, it doesn't stop. Like, you're on the train, people are messing with you. You're walking to the restaurant, people are messing with the restaurant. You go to the bathroom, people are messing in the bathroom. And it really has changed my entire life and I think affected my entire art because there's never a moment of peace or, or, or like clarity except for when I'm with other gender nonconforming people. And that's why I wanted to use this as an opportunity to say, I know this is a bit a big week for you, but like your visibility as seeing you with a beard and wearing a skirt has meant so much to me too because I'm like, people are always like, what the hell are you doing? And I'm like, what? It's not a big deal. But I really feel like at every level, people are trying to invalidate me. Which is so unfair. It's so unfair. It hurts so much. And, I mean, it. I feel like I, when it comes to gender expression, I feel like it was literally physically, like, my natural inclination to express it and to feel comfortable in a non-binary gender expression was, like, physically beaten out of me from, like, a very early age. And I was taught to be, like, very terrified of it. And I was only allowed to, like, test my boundaries as much as I could. Which, as I came into, like, my 20s and as a hairdresser, like, really the ways that I could challenge it the most was, like, on Halloween or by wearing tights to going to yoga (laughs) or joining, like, cheerleading or even doing gymnastics. But, like, those sorts of ways were, like, the only ways that, like, I felt... Because, like, like, with... I guess I could have done, like... Because well, those are the things that I was, like, the most passionate about. Right. Like, I didn't, like, really, like, want to go into theater necessarily. I, was, I played violin, which right. I loved. I played cello. I, I loved the violin yes. so much. we need a duet moment. We do. <laughs> we really should. Or yeah. we, like, a Thorgy Thor. We can do, like, yes. a little, like, trio. Yes. Um, but you guys are probably way better than me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, I I think I... It, it got to this point, like, pre-Queer Eye and post-doing hair where it just... Like, I was raising cats and going through a lot of, like, really, like, awful, horrifically challenging personal things, like, losing parents, people with cancer, just, Mm -hmm. and just expressing my gender was, like, something that was, like, it came out going out at night, or, like, it just, I was going to the salon and just, like, putting one foot in front of the other, and, like, it just wasn't really on my radar, because I was just getting through my life. But every time I had a chance to play with it, I was, like, always there to play with it. Um, I didn't realize, like, how important it was, like, putting a name to what my gender is or even, like, putting a name on it. I just, I literally, it's like what I, and I, even in that interview, like, I 
didn't really like I just was talking to this amazing person about this partnership and about right. gender and people had been asking me about like what is your gender right. expression like for basically like since queer I came out right. but I guess I just never I always just thought that I guess I just like didn't know that we had a name right that really was like kind of what it came down to right. I always knew that I really looked up to people that were non-binary I just I think I just remember, like, being torn out of dresses as a child and right. thinking that, like, you know, like, an exact quote that was, like, said to me at, like, under the age of 10 was, like, I don't care if you suck dick. I don't want you to get AIDS. Yeah. Like, there was, <laughs> like, there was so many so things many. that were said. And that was, like, by an adult person right. in their 40s. Right, right. So, like... Even getting to, like, I was dealing with so many signals around and just terrified around so many things. I just, it. I think that in some ways we all have come really far. But I, then I think, again, like, I get really reticent because I think that we are way too quick to pat ourselves on the back, especially right. for things like Queer Eye. Because, like, as much as I do love the show and, and it is heartfelt, but, like, especially in terms of, like, safety and representation, like... This is like one successful TV show and an entertainment landscape right. that is gigantic, and it like that is still so homophobic and transphobic, so homophobic, <laughs> yeah. so transphobic, and so underrepresents right. our community. Right, like we have like we're the makeup artists, we're the stylists, we're doing all the behind the scenes, but we're never in front of the camera. And even when we are, even the people that are in front of the camera only represent like a right. tiny fraction of totally. our community. I'm not complaining because like it's been good for me and it's been right. good for some of our like LGBTQ family, right. but. There, it's still woefully underrepresented. Right. And some of the most talented actors and comedians and people that I know, like, have never even gotten auditions that they should have 100%. because of just, like, the culture of the way that things are. The way that it's affected me professionally makes me so mad. Like, I'm an extremely talented writer and performer. I've been doing this all across the world for almost a decade. But my support has come from the internet and not from any mainstream entertainment agencies. When they come to my shows, their jaws are on the floor. They're like, you're hilarious, you're gregarious, you're dynamic, you're thinking, you're preaching, you're doing a whole nother level of art. They're so surprised. I'm like, let's get rid of this diamond in the rough kind of conversation because my community has always seen me for the diamond that I was. It's just when white, straight, cis men validate us, then we blow up, you know? And I want to interrupt that cycle, the cycle of Madonna stealing from Vogue and then making it be a thing. Like, why do we have to have these institutional gatekeepers? And that's why, for me, it's really important for queer people to support queer people professionally and to actually say we should not need straight validation or, like, a stamp to say this is an appropriate gay, but to actually support one another. So for me, everywhere I'm performing, I try to find another trans artist of color to try to uplift them and their work. I try to find ways to like pay all the queer people that I'm working with to hire queer visionary teams, makeup artists, hairstylists, because I'm like, this needs to be a movement, not just a moment. I'm really big on that too, especially with comedy. It's always, if they, always LGBTQ, always female, if not LGBTQ, like just always people of color, diversity. Like, I don't want like to have like, I don't want this platform of comedy that I've been given, which is so lucky and random. And like, I've, I've gotten to do tours and stuff that like, I have earned but not in a way that like right. other people who've worked so hard that I respect so much like girl you gotta come with me yes yeah um I saw that you were on Laverne's Instagram the yeah. other day speaking that was amazing yeah. major and uh, tell me about your billboard totally so I think you did this uh campaign last year with Harry's um so Harry's just reached out to me and said hey we're doing this kind of pride collection we're gonna put on billboards I didn't really think about it. I was just like oh, okay cool fun and then the billboards started to come out and I got so emotional because I was like 
wow, like I am a brown bearded lipstick wearing person in a dress. Like, where do you see that? And just having people from like Cleveland, Ohio, just random places messaging me like I'm seeing your billboard. This is the representation that I want. I've been, I can't tell you how many photo shoots I've been in where I'm edited out of the photo or the photographer will be like, do you want the best photo or the politically correct photo? I'm always made to be political correctness. I'm like, honey, I'm gorge. Like, yeah. I'm fashionable. I'm everything. I'm beautiful. Why are you eliminating me? I'm always cut. And, and I think to actually have that moment for myself opened up a new set of possibilities for myself because I think for so long I thought I only can be on a stage because that's where people are comfortable with people like us. If we're if they can think of it as like a drag show where they're like, you're putting on a costume for the performance and then you go off and you're a man and you live a normal life. And now I'm feeling like the stage more and more feels like a cage for me because I'm like, okay, why is it that I'm only safe when I'm on the stage? Why can't I wear this look everywhere else? And when I moved to New York, as I was saying with my, my timeline, is when I started to perform more, I started to experiment with my gender more on stage. And then I was having so much fun. I was like, I'm going to wear this just on the street. And that's where the violence started to happen. And, and I think that's what really breaks my heart is the kind of queerness that I'm fighting for is I should be able to walk in a seven inch heel in an amazing gown that I designed myself just to go get some coconut water from the corner store. And everyone's just be like, hi, have a good day. Like, And people, conservatives in this country, want to say this is a, quote, radical gender ideology. And what it really is is just my ability to exist and function as a human being. There's nothing radical about that. It's literally older than Jesus. Yes. Hello. Yeah, <laughs> like literally. Well, I think that you are incredibly strong and very visionary. What do people... Well, okay, actually, I have two things, and then we have to wrap up, but I could literally talk to you forever. <clears throat> Here's one thing I've been kind of struggling with, and I want to ask you a question. So when it comes to, like, pronouns, I've always referred to myself as a he or a she. Yeah. I refer to my penis as a she. I refer to, like, lots of different things as, like, a he or a she. It's kind of like a feeling. It's like an expression that, like, because I've never felt, like, beholden to that binary. I always right. felt that I fit outside of it. I always felt that it, like, wasn't really for me. I've always felt that, like... The things that made me feminine organically are the things that make me the strongest and actually are the most, like, masculine rewarded things. Because, like, I think, you know, traditionally masculine, you would have to be very brave. Right. You'd have to be able to endure a lot of pain. Right. You'd have to be very strong and, like, have, like, a very, like, strong conviction. I've had to have all those things to express myself the way that I do, as have you. So it's, like, sometimes I feel like the things that make me feminine actually make me the most masculine. If you're mm -hmm. looking at, like, the qualities that they come along with. Totally. So it's, like... I don't mind if people call me he or him because it requires me less conversation. Yeah. It doesn't really, like, move a hair on my head, like, what you need to categorize right. me as. Because I've always known in my heart that, like, I'm not the binary's definition of a man and right. I never needed to be. Right. <clears throat> and then, but, so I feel fine with he, him. I feel fine with she, hers. I feel fine with they, them. But, like, as owning this and stepping into that, like, how does the whole pronoun thing work? Like, how, I mean, because it's like, um, like, how do I just, I just like, because like so many people were like saying it, but I was like, it's in the article. Like, I, it right. can be he, him, it can be whatever. Like, yeah. but there's this like expectation that like totally. I have to come into a room and like immediately like put everyone at ease and tell them like yeah. what my pronouns are. Totally. And I am newer on this scene. So it's like, wh how, what, how, what is the rule of this? There's so much I want to say. I'll try to be brief. First of all, you're not newer on this scene because you've always been this way. What's new is the language. And I think that's what people get so fixated on the language that they neglect that, like, 
there's so many ways of existing in the world that are beyond language. And that's what I believe as an artist is art is the place beyond language. And so I think that you can have the sense of imposter syndrome to be like, okay, how do I represent the community best? Your obligation is to respect and represent yourself. There's as many ways to be non-binary as there are non-binary people. And I think what's really dangerous right now in the trans community is we're always thinking about how do we put the most respectable or responsible face versus how do I put my face? We can have as many different ways of being trans, as many different ways of being non-binary. You can use he, they can use they, she can use she, and that should not at all undermine our collective efforts. So it's totally legit and wonderful to be non-binary and to still use he. And then I think um, the sense of like uh, having to put a label on it. I think about that as a compromise, actually, because for me, gender and sexuality are stories and they can never actually fit into like these static labels or categories. Who I am change. I can't even decide what shoes I'm going to wear in one day. Like the idea that I have to have like a gender for the rest of my life is like unambitious, not really what's happening. What I love about fashion and style is I can change it up all the time. And that's the same thing with gender and sexuality. We're fluid. We shift. We change. That's dynamic. And so oftentimes the reason that we've been pressured to give language is because of a heteronormative straight society that will look at anyone else and be like, you're different. What is your name? Let me categorize that. I understand that right now we need language because we have to give visibility. We have to say that there, there are these rights that are being restricted. But the world that I'm fighting for is when you're just JVN, I'm just alone. You know, and we don't actually need to say this is non-binary, this is whatever. Um, I think categories are important, they're necessary, but I don't think that that's the end goal. It reminds me of, like a cartoli. It's like knowing like what ego is and knowing like what your centered self is. Like we need to have like the ideas and things because it gives you like directive, but that doesn't mean that's like literally who we are. Right. I think so often, like when I'm when we're talking about the entertainment media landscape, people look at us and just think that we are genders and sexualities. Like I'm so bored of just getting booked for gigs to talk about gender. I'm like, I can talk about loneliness. I can talk about heartbreak. I can talk about all these other universal things that you allow straight cis white men to talk about. Like we allow straight cis white men to be experts on everything. Why can't I be a weather reporter? I'm just putting this out into the ether. I've always wanted to be a weather reporter who gives fashion advice with the weather. Isn't that necessary? Bitch, do a YouTube. I might. I might. Because literally, I'm like... You need to write the rules for yourself. I'm sorry, I'm screaming. Everyone in the other room is like, you're screaming. (laughs) Write the rules for the the display. Because I I would buy that. I would do that. I'm I'm, I'm obsessed. So where can people find you? And like, what's coming up next? And what are you like most excited about? Totally. Instagram's the best place to find me. It's slash A-L-O-K-V-M-E-N-O-N. And so many cool things coming up on the horizon for me. I'm coming out with a book uh, in May called Beyond the Gender Binary. So it's going to be a little primer for people to really understand non-binary and the politics behind it. Like this coming May. Yeah. So like in 11 months. Yes. Oh my God. Okay. Anticlimactic, but no, it's, it's okay, happening. No, it's okay. It's okay. You know, the publishing cycle is a little slow. It takes a second. Okay. You're busy. You're perfecting. And uh, I'm continuing to tour around. So I'm, I have a show in Atlanta this month, and then I'm going to be in Texas, my hometown, putting together our, our first Pride paid pride party in like a decade i think good for you bringing visibility back to the original place well i want to hear about how um the reunion was i be safe have so much fun um there's so many more things we could talk about i know we have 40 minutes but we just have to have you back i love you so much thanks for your time thanks thanks for having me yes you've been listening to getting curious with me jonathan van ness my guest this week was writer and performance artist alok This episode originally aired in June 2019. You'll find links to Alok's work in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thank you so much to her for letting us use it. 
If you enjoyed our show, introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at CuriousWithJVN. Our socials are running curated by Emily Bossick. Our editor is Andrew Carson, and our transcriptionist is Cassie Jerkins. Getting Curious is produced by me, Erica Ghetto, Emily Bossick, Chelsea Jacobson, and Colin Anderson. 